0: Hey Rainy Day Diary listeners, I have super exciting news. For the last few years, I've worked on a book called Find Your Rainbow for Girls, and it is officially out for pre-order. It's a book about celebrating differences, it offers practical friendship tips, overflowing with inspirational takeaways, and so many activities for girls of all ages. You can find the book at amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. I am so excited this book is finally going to be in this world, and I know your girls are going to love it. Lastly, you can find more information at jenniferlynn.com slash new book. Okay, now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to Rainy Day Diaries, an imperfect podcast that will dive headfirst into how you can thrive in your creative life and business, even if you struggle with mental wellness. I am your host, Jennifer Lynn, and as a longtime struggler of anxiety and depression myself, I hope this podcast will help you realize that you could still get stuff done when you deal with all these crazy things on a daily basis, that you're not alone, and that falling down does not mean you won't get back up again. I thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you have any suggestions or questions or topics you'd love to hear about, please email me at jenniferlin at gmail.com. Thanks. Enjoy the show. So for today's episode of Rainy Day Diaries, I have my friend, Jessie Moore. Jessie Moore and I met, just like all my other guests you will see on this podcast, a very long time ago, but I think I actually know Jessie the longest. Um, I think I found her in 2006. She has an amazing website called Cakes Spy, and it's such a mixture, it's like a mixture of her illustrations of like happy cupcake stories and all these funny desserts with like little eyeballs on them and recipes and I'm like oh another sugar person I have to meet them and Mm -hmm. so fast forward many moons 10 moons 11 (laughs) moons (laughs)
1: and
0: so um here she is and I gave you a nice awkward introduction so I'll let you introduce yourself
1: a little better (laughs) That was the best awkward introduction I've ever had. Yay! Yeah, it was an amazing, amazingly awkward. No, awkwardly amazing. Whatever. <laughs> I'm I'm thanking you awkwardly. So there we go. We're just okay. continuing the awkward continuum. That's Why we're friends? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, if anyone's curious about me, I like to describe myself as a minor internet celebrity. Um, so I am a writer and an illustrator, and a recipe developer, and these things all come together on my website, cakespy.com. Um, yeah, so it's like a kind of a little sweet spot on the web. <laughs> Literally. <Yeah. laughs> so then,
0: uh, I'm not sure, I'm assuming you probably loved desserts when you were growing up too, but what did you want to be growing up, and then what are you actually doing? Like, how did that lead to what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, to answer the first question that you kind of alluded to, yes, I have always been a fan of sweets. Um, You know, sweets for me, not just in terms of flavor, but in terms of the culture around them. Like some of my happiest memories, you know, like I don't remember what I wore to my birthday when I was a kid, but I remember the cakes, you know? So like there's something so beautiful and sacred about desserts in my memory. So, um, But growing up, I was always a very artistic kid. My mom is a children's book illustrator, and my dad, um, while not a professional artist, is an extremely talented watercolorist. So I grew up in a very art-forward family, but I was actually more of a writer. Like, I would always write stories, and for me, early on, art was always like, oh, well, I'll use illustrations to accompany my stories, but it was always like the second thing that I did, right? But then um, I actually had kind of a pivotal moment at the age of 12. Uh, There was this magazine called Stone Soup Magazine, which I think is still around. It's all written and illustrated by children, And I had submitted like a short story I had written to this magazine, but to kind of make my submission stand out, I drew all these pictures on the envelope and I got contacted by the magazine and they put it very politely, but basically the essence of it was, we're going to pass on your story, but hey, can we like use these illustrations? (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. So I was like maybe 12 years old, and they offered me $50 to use my illustrations. So at the age of like 12 or so, I'm like, man, maybe this art thing could really make me some money. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of what brought art more into my eye. And um, going to high school, I was like, um, you know, I kind of began to go more down the art route because I, you know, I liked academics, but I always liked the idea of doing art for a job. It just seemed a lot more fun. And I was like, well, if I go to art school, then my SAT scores don't matter as much. Um, So I went to art school and, um, you know, did the art thing. But now, um, as an adult, I have actually found myself as a writer and an illustrator. So, I'm, I feel really like cheesy hashtag blessed in that I actually do get to use my mind for a living in that way. I get to write and illustrate. So I am doing what I wanted to do as a kid, basically. That's so perfect. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. And so... Hakespy's been around for a really long time. So then what is it? What was it when it first started and has it changed
1: a lot or like what has it manifested into now? It has changed so much. So when I started my website, at the time I was working at a greeting card company in Seattle. And I was kind of like hitting this point where there wasn't much more growth I could have in the company. Um, and so I was like, well how would I start thinking about starting my own company? So I was like, well, Jesse, what would your ideal company be? And so I thought to myself, well, it would have to have writing, it would have to have illustration. And then this one just popped into my mind because I've always been into baked goods. I was like, and it would have to have baked goods. (laughs) And so I was like, well, great, great business plan there. What are you gonna do with that, you know? So I was like, it was um, 2006 at the time and I was like, well, what do I do? And then I was like, well, I'll start a blog and I'll figure out when, like what to do from that. So it was 2007 when the blog actually started, it was gestating in 2006, but um, I started a blog and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I started out really just doing like a little feature every day about like, you know, I'd be like, oh, this cupcake place I went to, or whatever, and um, I started to focus more on recipes, and then, you know, things started opening up for me, like, I saw what people liked, like, I did these funny baking experiments, like, I took, like, ate cupcakes and shipped them to myself in various ways to see which one survived best and just stupid stuff like that. But it was so much fun and people started to like it. And what started to happen is that the blog, it became its own entity, but it also led to other opportunities. So people would see my artwork on it and they would be like, wow, I like your artwork. Can I hire you to do illustrations?" or they would enjoy my witty repartee and say, can I hire you as a freelance copywriter? So my blog, in addition to being its own kind of expression of what I do, it also is kind of like my living resume, I guess. And it like leads to other job opportunities. So it's, it's changed a lot over the years, but usually in kind of small, natural progression sorts of ways if that makes sense, like my interest will shift or I'll notice that different types of features are more popular. So I'll kind of shift myself in kind.
0: So I must have found you like right when you started then.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Because Early in, adopter.
0: In 2007 is when I started my blog and that was like pre-craft explosion. Like, there was, yeah. like, no Etsy yet, like, and yep. blogging was the thing you did Yep, me, and I didn't even have the same business. I wasn't even an illustrator back then. I made jewelry, and so I'm like, I think, I don't know if, like, I just wanted to meet more people, or I don't, or I thought, well, how can I get exposure on, there was no social media, so I was like, how can I get more exposure on the blog? I'll, like, interview people, but I ended, you were, like, I think one of my first interviews on my blog in 2007. I'm going to see if I could try to find it.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. I'd love to see that.
0: Um, so it's very fitting that I'm still doing interviews like 11 years later or, yeah. Uh, and you're still one of the first people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's funny because like there are times when I have like nostalgia for the early days. Cause like in, in like 2007, it wasn't quite literally this small but i feel like every food blogger in the world knew each other then <laughs> like, and like every etsy seller we all knew each other
0: because um, there weren't that many of us yeah,
1: there weren't that many and it was like this kind of raw time like nobody's blog photos were good they were all I
0: terrible i miss that so much actually
1: <laughs> i did too like now i mean so many good things have happened so i'm not trying to sound like a curmudgeon But there are times when I'm like, why does everything have to look like an anthropology photo shoot? I have literally never tied a brownie with twine in my life. (laughs) No, it's
0: literally like, and that's part of like, I don't know if it's like on part of the about page of my podcast. Or it's definitely part of like the letter I wrote you to try and interview you is like, everything needs to be perfect now on the internet. And like, yeah it's not real, but on top of not being real, it's so much pressure to like make things look perfect. And like, will your business succeed if it's not perfect? And unfortunately, well, not as much,
1: like, but. Well, I mean, yeah, you're less likely to be chosen. I mean, like one thing that I have done a lot less over the years is recipe development because I used to do quite a bit of that, But my photos, quite frankly, I mean, I can take decent photos, but I'm an amateur. I don't have a light room or a setup. I just like put it by the window and take a picture, Mm -hmm. you know, and in terms of like being competitive in that way, I was like, well, that's not where I want to put my energy, you know? So as a result, I've kind of had to shift not doing as much of that type of work because I just don't want to get involved in that competition.
0: Yeah, it's really hard.
1: Mm-hmm. like,
0: especially when, like, the flat lay became, like, the new thing, and I, like, oh,
1: yeah.
0: and I was, like, and I, and I hope I'm not a broken record on this podcast, because obviously there's a few things that, like, I'm sure I've talked about either in every interview or every solo episode. I have no idea. You guys, the listeners will tell me, I guess, but it's, like, where is the middle between, like, I really don't want to do that, because it makes me nervous, but also, like, so that shouldn't necessarily be the only re- like reason. But I don't want to do that because it's it's like edging on the perfection side. So I'm like, am I just being stubborn? Like because it's extra work or like I really don't believe in perfectionism and that's like something I so I that, don't know where to go.
1: <laughs> that that is like I mean, I feel like that can be a question that you can really dive deep in and never find an answer because I I struggle with that too, because on the one hand, I always want to be committed to self-improvement and you know, not be so like stubborn that I can't be flexible and grow. Yet at the same time, I want to recognize like where what is feeding me, you know, and it's like I feel like in that particular case, I'm like, well, no, I'm actually happier if I focus just if I just kind of shift to focusing more on writing and illustration, you know. No, makes sense. So, you know, it's like you—you only have so many, you know, like creative points, and I've got to choose where to spend them.
0: (laughs) No, that's a good. Otherwise, you burn out, and you'll burn out on the stuff you don't like doing. Like,
1: absolutely,
0: which is already a constant. Like, there's already so many things to be a business owner that you don't—that most people don't feel like doing. So, (laughs) heck yeah. So I know you touched on it just a little bit that you were kind of like artsy in high school and whatnot. But uh like will you go more into like what your teen years were like? Were there any specific things you struggled with or hardships as a teen?
1: Sure. Um yeah, so I mean in terms of my family life, I have a great family. I'm really fortunate in that way. I have um I grew up by the Jersey Shore, as we discussed before we started recording. And um my parents are great. They Actually still live in the same house I grew up in. I was there yesterday, and um you know, so I had a pretty kind of classic kind of suburban upbringing. but um my struggle because I think that um my older sister she struggled a lot in her teen years, like she had um she was kind of like a, a little bit of a wild child. And as a result, I think that she got a lot of my parents' attention, um, you know, needfully so, because she, she needed it a little bit more than me at that time. And I was always like the good kind of smart girl, you know? Um, so I think that what started to happen with me is that I didn't need the same guidance that my older sister did, but... I felt like I suffered from like a lack of attention because I'm like, I'm here shining, you know, like, so it's like I almost started to put pressure on myself to just shine brighter and brighter. And I became like really an overachiever. Like I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to go to just any art school. I wanted to go to like the most prestigious ones, you know, like I wanted to be famous. I wanted to shine. Um, And I think that that kind of perfectionism in part is what led me to develop an eating disorder, which was my big struggle. Actually, from teen years and beyond, but um, during high school, that I would say was absolutely my biggest struggle. Um, with like, at first dieting, then binging and purging, and then later on anorexia. But that having been said, I feel like I actually had a very pleasant high school experience. You know, like I, uh, I was in the marching band. I was like. I wasn't a cool kid, but I wasn't, like, I wasn't a kid who was bullied either. So I kind of, like, existed in this weird kind of, like, nobody bothered me sort of world, which was actually a pretty nice place to be, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I,
0: that actually sounds like a nice place to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I know none of you are actually seeing the video of this because I like to stare at the people that I'm interviewing and I'm only sharing the audio, but Jessie has her senior pug on her lap and every blue moon, she kind of moves and looks at the camera and it's so cute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yay. Yeah. Olive is the best. She like, um, you know, she can't get around too well anymore. So I usually carry her or I have like a kind of a baby sling style carrier that I walk around town with her in. She, like, basically lights up the world. It's like I'm carrying a miniature Jabba the Hut with me at all times. She's cool. She is cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I know you briefly talked about your eating disorder, which was very brave. Thank you. And mm-hmm. we literally talked about eating disorders before we went on the call. <laughs> um, let's bond about our eating disorders. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> was there anything or anyone that specifically got you through that hard time?
1: You know – in retrospect, unfortunately, I can't say that there is one specific thing. Um, I I could point to some things that really brought me like relief from it, though. One is that my family, my family was, uh, which I think is very common with people with eating disorders, families want to help, but they don't know what to do. You know, and a lot of people like, take the mentality of like, why don't you just eat something, which is like, I don't, I don't get angry for people for having that point of view because I get it. I can wrap my mind around it, but at the same time, it's so unproductive and so unhelpful because it's really just not that simple. But, um, just the fact that I knew that my family cared was very helpful. And I think that expressing myself artistically was really a powerful part of, you know, like kind of surviving even while suffering But honestly, I struggled with an eating disorder. I really only in earnest began recovery when I was 30 years old and I'm 36 now. So from age like 13 to 30, I was in an active eating disorder, Um, you know, and I was like, you know, there's a term for people who struggle with alcohol. They call it a functioning alcoholic, right? (laughs) Um, I was like a functioning disordered eater because I could function enough. I was never hospitalized. I could go to restaurants, you know, but like my discomfort with myself and with food was so deep that like it, I was like in jail to a certain degree for all of those years. So, um, you know, it's, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think there might be some value in it. I feel like when at age 30, I really decided to go into recovery, which the catalyst for that was I got divorced. I was married and I got divorced. And I was kind of like, you've got to get it together, Jesse, you know, because you're going to keep on suffering in this life if you don't stop having an eating disorder. And so that's when I really got real about recovery. And there's this like theory in recovery that emotionally you're stunted at the age where you develop your eating disorder. So I feel like at age 30, I emerged as like an emotional 13 year old. And I was like, oh my God, the world hit me so hard. Like everything, like, like, oh, does this friend like me? You know, like, like every like petty 13-year-old drama that you can think of, I would cry over at age 30. It was like, it was, it was a very special time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Such an optimistic way of saying that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was my special time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I guess I'm curious, since most people don't think eating disorder and dessert website would go together, like, that... <laughs> how does that marry together very well? Like, how do you, Yeah, that's
1: (laughs) great, great question. So I guess that there are a few things that play into that. Like for one, I think that desserts, one thing that a lot of people find unusual is that even because I progressed from like dieting to bulimia to like, I stopped making myself throw up, but like, I actually just became anorexic. Like I, I didn't admit it to myself for a long time, but that's actually what happened. Um, But even at my lowest weight, I still ate desserts. Like it would be like I would eat a cupcake and nothing else, but it was still something that mattered to me. Um, So I've always loved sweets. And as I mentioned earlier, I've always loved the culture around sweets. So in a way it was almost like, giving myself a security blanket, you know, just surrounding myself by them. Another thing is that like a lot of people who have anorexia do become obsessed with baking because while they might not indulge themselves, they take an almost like obscene pleasure out of seeing other people eat. So it was almost like, no, Jesse, you can't have joy, but you can deliver joy to as many other people as possible, you know? so so that definitely played into it um and but you know what started to happen is that as i had my blog it actually became a strong vehicle for my recovery because the more i was around baked goods and the more i actually did baking the less fear i had about it because i'm like oh my God, like any Claire, it's the scariest thing in the world. But then when I make them, I'm like, oh no, actually it's like eggs and butter and sugar. It's like actually very real things that I can see going into it. It's not that scary, you know, like maybe I could have a bite and I wouldn't die or like gain 500 pounds from eating it, you know? So like, I think that having the blog, allowed me to start being curious about food, and it allowed me to start letting more food in.
0: I like that. That's very interesting. Yeah. I never baked when I had my eating disorder. Granted, I'm a terrible baker even now, <laughs> and I'm not good at following, like, baking is science. It's so, it's so different from cooking, yes. and so I don't read, and I'm not very good at following directions. <laughs>
1: I'm not either. I I still feel like I'm not qualified at all to have a food blog because compared to like people who now I would call them like legitimate food blogs, I'm extremely laissez-faire. I'm like, like, oh, I don't feel like washing my like dry measuring cups. So I'll just go ahead and use the liquid measuring cup for my flour. Whatevs, you know? And you have a cookbook. So I know I do.
0: (laughs) And it's so cool because when I got married, Someone bought me your cookbook because they knew I loved desserts, Aww. and but and I didn't even realize it was your cookbook until like oh, wow. later, and I was like, "That's so cool!" Like she bought me. I love when people buy me stuff from people I know. Like that's
1: that's amazing. <laughs> that made my day.
0: Oh yay! Good. I can't promise you I've made anything from it, but I really like looking at it. <laughs> yeah.
1: That honestly, that's even more flattering. <laughs>
0: yay um so how do you think all these experiences have made you who you are today how, do you think they've impacted your choices or what you're still doing for a living how you treat people your personality that's a lot of questions I know
1: yeah no I, I mean I feel like my, I mean are we're made of our experiences right so I think that that's very true for me and I think that my pain that I felt with disordered eating and also, you know, my choice to take kind of an alternate life path, you know, like, like I don't for, I started, when I started my blog, I worked a, you know, air quote real job, but I I've been a full-time freelancer for 10 years now. Um, So it's definitely not the typical path that I've taken. And in some ways I think that it's been hard. but I wouldn't have it any other way I mean I I feel that my experiences both good and bad have made me appreciate what I have they've made me kinder to other people I mean when I was younger um you know before I was married or divorced I might I might hear someone say like that they got divorced and part of me would be like, Oh, they're not trying hard enough. What a terrible thing to think. Right. You know, an uneducated thing to think is really what it is. But now having been dealt a few hard knocks in life, I feel that when I do encounter people who are experiencing their own difficulties, I'm far less likely to be like harsh on them or to be like, Oh, well, you're not, you're just not trying hard enough or something like that. I, I, I feel like I have a lot of compassion to pe- for people because of my experiences, and um, I think that the fact that I've been able to pave a career path out of such an unlikely cobbling of interests has just made me, it's made me able to believe in miracles, you know? Like, I'm like, yeah, things are possible. I love that
0: so much. I'm like smiling like a loony person. Like,
1: <laughs> You are smiling really big.
0: <laughs> no, it's so sweet. It's like, I don't want to say it's like Disney-esque, but like, it sounds like something that would come out of like a movie.
1: Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there actually is a Walt Disney quote that I like, and I'm probably butchering it, but it's like doing the impossible is kind of fun or something like that. And I'm like, yeah.
0: It is really cool how you could take, I mean, from my perspective of you taking, uh, I literally found you and you were drawing eyeballs and cupcakes were having battles and who was the better yeah. cupcake. And so the fact that you've been able to stem from there and go 10 years, it's a, like working for yourself is hard. <laughs> like, and yes, that's amazing. Is. <laughs> so are you working on anything new now? Like what? happening in your world I know you said you're yeah more involved with writing so like what what yeah
1: right now I have been more involved in writing I actually like um I had two books come out last year that I worked on like through traditional publishers one was my first non cookbook it's called Stuff Unicorns Love and it's all about like unicorn culture and stuff like that so that was amazing um but I've actually also delved into self-publishing in the past year or two. So I self-published a few coloring books and they really have exceeded my expectations. So right now on the horizon, I think is doing a self-published cookbook or like some other type of self-published book. Because while I love the creative aspect of working with a publisher, I think that doing self-publishing and not working with a team allows you to really dive deep into a theme and get super niche. Um, so I'm kind of interested in pursuing that a little bit more.
0: No, for sure. As someone who self-published and then traditionally published something, like I totally get it. Yeah, there um, there are benefits to both ways. Exactly. I was literally going to say, there's pros and cons to both. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, yay. And then where can people find you on the internet to learn about all your adventures?
1: Uh, Well, obviously, cakespy.com. And to anyone who is interested in the eating disorder part of the story, I do have a section on my blog called Unicorn Love, where I write about eating disorder recovery related topics. Um, So that might be of interest to some people. And then I'm on, you know, like um, social media on Facebook and Twitter, I'm Cake Spy, and on Instagram, because I was a little bit later to that game, I'm Cake Spy Blog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, those are my places that you can find me.
0: Oh, yay. I didn't actually even know about the Unicorn Love part of your website, so I'm going to have to go look at that, and um, I don't know. It was so good to talk to you, and I'm so excited. Let me interview you, and I'm so excited there was like a full circle of 10 years. That's so I crazy. Know. Like. I
1: know. I, like, because, I mean, I feel like I'm, like, just having, like, lunch or coffee with, like, a bestie or something. It's awesome. <laughs> I wish yes. you lived closer.
0: Oh, gosh, me too. Like, I should have started a podcast when I lived in New York. Like. I
1: know, right? <laughs> no, 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 not New York because it's cold right now. I'm just gonna have to come visit you. Okay,
0: please do. It's chilly today but probably not as chilly as new york no, so
1: trust me it's not as chilly as here in philadelphia <laughs>
0: oh, Yay! thank you for being on my podcast
1: oh thank you you are just you you are you're a ray of sunshine thank you oh
0: yay <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked the episode, please subscribe, or even better, leave a review. It makes iTunes really happy and hopefully makes them share this podcast with other people, which would make me really happy. If you have any ideas for topics to cover or for people you'd like me to interview, please email me. My email address is in the show notes. And thank you again. Have a great day.